That was just a see if we paying attention. No, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, and I'm here with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And we're back again with you to bring you another episode of our weekly roundup. Uh, this time, this is weekly roundup number 17, and today is October 9th. 2021. And as always, we have plenty of news to get to. So let's get started. Let's get right into it. So off the top, we're going to go to the NBA, um, National Basketball Association for our non-sports listeners. But uh, the National Basketball Association had a big announcement coming out this week. Uh, They announced they will not randomly test players for marijuana for the 2021-22 season. And this is according to NBA.com. This news comes as the league is getting ready to celebrate its 75th anniversary. So just to give you some context around this, this policy is an extension of another policy that went into effect during the 2020 restart in the bubble at Walt Disney World, uh, Florida, and it was carried into the 2020-21 season. However, there will still be drug testing for performance-enhancing substances, human growth, growth hormone, cocaine, methamphetamine, and opiates, uh, and again, this is according to NBA.com. And just to you know, tie it up here, the NBA does have a reputation of being very progressive, being a progressive league by listening to its players as it relates to social issues. If you remember, they were even putting uh, social justice messages on the courts, allowing players to change their names on the back of their jerseys to show support for different causes. So uh, the NBA kind of leading the way, Adrian, you know, with not drug testing, uh, you know, NBA players for marijuana. I'm glad that's happening, Devin. I fully support that. I think that for sports, you should check for performance-enhancing drugs. But based on what I know about marijuana and even what people stereotype marijuana as, it is not going to enhance your performance. So uh, it's going to make you probably lazy and hungry. And so I don't think they should be testing. So that's really, really nice. I'm glad to hear that. Um, let's just take you to another story here. This is about uh, comedian Dave Chappelle. And it's interesting, Devin, because I saw that he had a new special on Netflix. I was about to watch it, and I, I might still watch it. It seems controversial now after this. <laughs> but uh, comedian Dave Chappelle is facing criticism for his new Netflix special, The Closer. During a stand-up routine, Chappelle defends author J.K. Rowling, who who has made comments that have been perceived as transphobic. Gender is a fact, Chappelle says, says in the Netflix special. Chappelle criticized society for how it reacted to the baby's homophobic remarks. This is Chappelle, quote, in our country, you can shoot and kill a man, but you better not hurt a gay person's feelings. And like I said, this is following his special debut on Netflix. Uh, Jacqueline Moore, one of the authors and executive producers of Netflix, uh, the Netflix series Dear White People, said she can no longer work for the company. Uh, This is a quote from Moore. Uh, I will not work with them as long as they continue to put out and profit from blatantly and dangerously transphobic content. Moore, trans woman, said Chappelle isn't backing away from the controversy. During an interview at an event in Los Angeles, Chappelle reportedly received a standing ovation. This is another quote from Chappelle. If this is what being canceled is about, I love it, he said, according to L.A. Times. Um, It's a lot to unpack there. I I get what's happening as far as you being able to say and do what you want. And I think the, um, the comedic stage is, you know, 
it's up to the comedian and what they want to say and what they want to do. And like uh, Josh Johnson uh, said, you know, in our interview earlier this season with cancel comedy, you know, they're just telling a story. It's just, they're just having fun, cracking jokes. Um, You can't take what they say, um, you know, seriously for the most part. But I also look at it as, you know, especially in the black, you know, community, we have people who are influential and, you know, unfortunately a lot of people look up to, you know, Hollywood and actors and comedians and people like this. And when they see things like this, it's like, maybe I will do this too. I I don't know. Yeah. I I think I, I I get what you're saying. And and I understand where he's coming from too. Like, you know, with JK Rowling, I remember the firestorm that was started because of what she had said. I don't remember exactly what she her comments were, but I, I think what we're running into, what Chappelle is kind of throwing back in the face of society, is that there is there are people out there who do believe that you can either be a man or a woman. There's no transgender. There's no room for this flexibility, um, and we're kind of running into that because we've all been we all know either you're a man or a woman, and not you know trans woman, trans man. And, and welcoming those people into the community. I think what we have to do is that community, the trans community, the LGBTQ community has to understand, at least in my opinion, that just because someone says, you know, doesn't necessarily agree with the fact that you can be a trans woman, uh, that does not equate to them being transphobic. Like they don't have to agree with your lifestyle, but they can treat you like a, a regular person they're not treating you any differently. Dave Chappelle did not say, I hate trans people or I'm going to treat them any differently. They're not welcome to my shows. You didn't see any of that. And we have to be very careful to not just pile on people for just having their own opinions about things. Um, it's because it's just like you, you have to give room for grace and flexibility. People are going to believe what they want to. Everybody's not going to be comfortable with welcoming in trans people into the mainstream. I'm sorry. You know- it's it's a tough subject, and I feel like for people who who are in the boat that you're talking about, for those who don't accept it, just don't say anything about it. Um, I I would definitely say, and I haven't I haven't read or rather read I haven't watched the the um mm-hmm. the the closer or whatever, uh, but I just I don't even know you know why that was even an area to you know bring up. It's like if you don't even support it or don't endorse it. I mean, don't even talk about it because then you're just adding, you know, fuel to one side um, and you don't even, you know, have, you know, uh, you know, a dog in the race. I mean, that's my take on it. I mean, I because I mean, I don't, you know, as someone who is in the community, you know, I don't, you know, necessarily understand, you know, transgender um, because, I mean, I get that, you know, born one way and you know you may be born a man and be attracted to men or born a woman and be attracted to women i do understand that dynamic but the whole dynamic of saying that i was born a female but i feel and believe that i should be a man and vice versa i get that that's a that's a such a complicated topic and how do you swallow that pill especially when you consider a lot of the changes we've seen in education with like our bathrooms and stuff like that mm-hmm. and i mean at that point i'm just like you know, create transgender bathrooms, you know, have something to where everyone can just be happy. But like I said, don't, you know, add fuel to the fire. Yeah, I I get that. Um, You know, I think 
why people talk about it, why Dave Chappelle even bring it up in the first place is because of that influence that you've seen with the bathroom bills, with what happened with the baby and the backlash that he got for what he said. Rightly so. He got the backlash. But what Dave Chappelle was trying to make a point about as far as like hurting a gay person's feelings was just the baby did actually shoot and kill a man before he became a rap star. And nobody had an issue with it. Nobody tried to cancel him because he did do that in his past. But now coming forward, he says some things about people having AIDS at a show of his and he just got piled on. And so Dave Chappelle is just kind of pointing out an apparent hypocrisy because, I mean, let's face it, we don't mind canceling people for the smallest thing. We can go and find a tweet that they made 10 years ago and we're going to cancel them. We're going to try to get them out of work or whatever you want to call it. But the baby, for some reason, has gotten a pass. And apparently he killed somebody, a black person, way back when, and that's okay. But it became an issue when he, you know, made some comments on this. And rightly so, he deserved all of that criticism. But it's just like we're picking and choosing what it is we want to, you know, cancel people for. And and at least with just with, you know, with the trans uh, gender stuff, just I, I know we got to go, but it's just, I think you're, what people are, are seeing is that those groups, the LGBTQ community, does have a very large presence and influence on what is happening legally in the legal system with bathroom bills and different things like that. And you can say you don't agree with it, but they are affecting <laughs> laws in the country to make sure that they're welcomed in and that you sort of in some ways have to accept that, yes, this is, you know, there, there, there are trans people that we need to welcome in. I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm just saying that that perceived influence on what's happening legally and politically, it is threatening to a lot of people. So they're going to talk about it and be like, hey, I, don't, I think gender is male and female, not trans male, trans female, and male, you know, all these other things. So, no, I get it. I get it. It's just like, <laughs> you know, the whole argument of marriage and things like right. that. And, you know, I, I, I totally get it. My, my point is just, you know, if you, don't support it if you don't have a dog in the race just don't even don't even you know talk about it but yeah we do you are right we do have to move on so. <laughs> i know i see it <laughs> you could uh, but we will go ahead and move on from that and again if you haven't watched the special i'm going to probably end up watching it um just to see exactly what he said um in full uh the next story here uh it's going to be coming out of uh wisconsin so if you go back to last year, August of 2020, you may remember the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We just have a quick update on this. It looks like federal prosecutors um, have announced, they announced this on Friday, that they will not be filing charges against the white police officer who shot Jacob Blake uh, last year. And the shooting has sparked protests that led to the deaths of two men. Uh, the officer in question, his name is uh, Officer Rustin Shesky. Uh, he shot Blake, but he will not find he would not face any federal charges um, for what he did. And so it looks like um, just again, not what we wanted necessarily. Um, I think even uh, Jake, uh, Jacob Blake's uncle had even said he called the decision unconscionable and said it. You know, it definitely steps on the civil right of every that we every civil right that we can imagine in, that this country owes every African American descendant. So. Um, just, you know, disappointing, not what we wanted to see. And hopefully this is not a trend that we'll continue to see uh, pop up later on. Yeah, I hope. But, you know, 
um, when you're a minority in America, your hope is only so big, I guess, you know, uh, another story, um, I guess not to drain too much hope out of the equation, but this is going to be going into Texas here. Uh, new details of a recent shooting that left four people injured at Timberview High School in Arlington, Texas, revealed that bullying may have triggered this tragic event. According to Arling Assistant Police Chief Kevin Colby, in a Wednesday afternoon news conference, the violent attack stemmed from a fight caused on video that broke out in the classroom. Sources close to the case say that a robbery may have preceded the events leading to the dispute. What's more, the mother of the alleged gunman, Timothy Smithkins, who allegedly turned himself in, said that the 18-year-old was bullied and robbed at least twice. School shootings have become an all too common. Since 2018, there have been 81 school shootings with the COVID-19 pandemic serving as a main factor for the interruption of this growing trend. Oftentimes, mental health is at the center of these tragedies, but its relevance has come into question. Bullying is one of the most pervasive forms of school violence affecting one in three young people. Research suggests that children and youth who are frequently bullied are more likely than those not bullied to experience depression, anxiety, and self-esteem. That's a, that's a, that's a lot, Devin. That's, you know, I know that, you know, you can point fingers and say things, but, you know, being that young and getting bullied, getting robbed, you know, it definitely can create, you know, a lot of different things. So I definitely agree that we've got to have, you know, conversations uh, about mental health when it comes to school shootings. And we also kind of have a conversation about guns in schools. I mean, it's like, I'm not saying that everywhere needs to have a metal detector, but, <laughs> you know, maybe, I mean, if, if, if America has such a epidemic with, you know, gun violence and it's flooding our schools, maybe we do need to put metal detectors to prevent, you know, you know, people having guns. And maybe we also need to take care of mental health. Yeah, we need to do both. All of the above. <laughs> um, you know, nobody wants to see these giant metal detectors at the entrances of schools, but we have to accept the reality, which is that we have a gun problem. We have way too, we have, in my opinion, way too many guns that are easily accessible by teenagers. You know, he's 18, so you don't know where he got that gun from um, or whether he purchased it legally or not illegally uh, or, or illegally. And we have to accept the reality is that it is very easy for a child or for a kid, you know, a young teen who may be getting bullied to get their hands on a gun and go to school and act out their own, you know, version of revenge. And we not and we're not able to do anything about it. So we have to acknowledge that. I don't think the answer is putting more guns in schools by arming teachers, which is what we're seeing from some states. They want to arm teachers and, and train them how to use a gun because um, we there's this kind of this myth out there that the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. But that's not fully true. <laughs> you, the studies show that actually you, it doesn't happen that often where a good guy with a gun actually stops the bad guy unless they have loads of training. They have to be professionally trained to handle an actor shooter situation. It is not simply you just in the right spot at the right time in a Walmart with the gun you can take down a shooter. That does not happen. And it's past time that we um, acknowledge the, the mental health uh, issues that are happening. Some of that caused by. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. 
We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're going to get into our second segment of news here. So first, we'll start with a little recap here just to give you some updates on stories that we reported um, on our last episode. So first up, there's some news about the Texas abortion law. So there was an injunction this week, but it looks like um, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said on Friday that he is going to ask the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals on Friday to restore Texas's uh, fetal heartbeat abortion law, which took a for, took effect last month. And this comes after U.S. District Judge Robert Pittman temporarily blocked the bill from going into effect late Wednesday. And that was in a 113-page ruling that found that the law violates a woman's right to an abortion. And so I think just a further update, the law is back into effect. Um, and so, of course, this is going to be the back and forth between the court systems handing it off um, to each other. Uh, the next update is also last week we talked to you about Alabama possibly using COVID relief funds to build prisons. Well, they have decided that's what they're going to do. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey has placed her signature on legislation that allows COVID relief funds to build new prisons in the state. In fact, they're going to be constructing three new prisons and refurbishing an existing one with $400 million uh, from the American Rescue Plan. And so just to give you a little update on those two stories in Texas and in Alabama. Yeah. I mean, listeners, we're uh, trying to, going to try to do that a little bit more often. Um, as we say in past episodes, we'll make sure to keep you in the loop. Um, this is why we're incorporating this to make sure we can actually keep you in the loop. But uh, another story, just to kind of keep in a trend uh, to give us a little bit of global news, more than 130 countries have agreed on sweeping changes to how big global companies are taxed, including a 15% minimum corporate tax designed to deter multinationals from stashing profits in, ta- in low tax countries. The deal announced Friday is an attempt to address the ways globalization and digitalization have changed the world economy. It will allow countries to tax some of the earnings of companies located elsewhere that make money through online retailing, web advertising, and other activities. Basically, companies who can you know do a lot of e-commerce and not have businesses established, um, going to be a way to tax them now. The agreement among 136 countries representing 90% of the global economy was announced by the Paris-based Organization for Corporation Economic Development, which hosted the talks. The OECD said that the minimum tax would reap some $150 billion for governments. Countries would sign up to a diplomatic agreement to implement the tax on companies that have no physical presence in a country but earn profits there. Uh, through their digital services. The provision would affect about 100 global firms. The second part of the deal is that 15% uh, tax, which applies to companies that have about 70, 750 billion euros or 864 billion in American dollars. Um, that's nice, Devin. I'm glad to see that they're doing this. Uh, President Biden, I think, was a big champion at this. Uh, this is how he plans on paying for a lot of the infrastructure bill through corporate taxes. So, uh, this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, it is. That's a that's a big deal, you know, for that many countries to sign on to incorporate a minimum uh, tax rate on businesses. And so, like you say, it's going to raise a lot of money <laughs> uh, for, for for federal governments. But 
we'll go to our next story here, which is coming out of Missouri. Um, so there's a, a Missouri man who will be executed despite the fact that he is intellectually disabled and has the head of the Catholic Church, Pope Francis, as an advocate. Uh, not only did the Pope try to intervene, but even former Governor Bob Holden tried to change the, the current governor's mind. Current governor is Mike Parson, who still refuses to stop the execution of Ernest Johnson, and attorneys are now appealing to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, if, if successful, what will happen is that the court will recognize what we all know to be true is that he's intellectually disabled. The U.S. Supreme Court has said that uh, said that is a moral decision that these individuals who are like Ernest are not as culpable. His attorneys say he should be allowed to spend the rest of his life in prison where he poses no threat. Uh, Johnson was convicted. Ernest Johnson was convicted of killing three people during a robbery in 1994 and admitted to killing the three convenience store employees with the claw of a hammer. Uh, However, attorneys have argued that Johnson's IQ, which is in the 70s, puts him at the same cognitive function as a 10-year-old. Attorneys argue that killing a man with the intellectual capacity of a child is a violation of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, Recent rulings against Johnson note that he counted and sorted money after the robbery and that he had the wherewithal to wear a mask during the crime. So, um, yeah, that's a a crazy story there, Adrian, out of Missouri. Um, Obviously, he doesn't pose a threat, you know, to himself or anyone in prison. He can just live out his days in prison. I don't understand the need to follow through with this if it's obvious he's intellectually disabled and, and doesn't pose a further, you know, threat to society, essentially. Yeah, Devin, I, um, when I saw this story, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, you know, obviously, um, he did what he did. So it's not like, um, they're going to let him off or anything, but you, you don't have to take his life just because, you know, because of what he did. I, I definitely think that, you know, an, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, mm-hmm. living like that, that's not, you know, you know, real, you know, really, you know, that's not going to, you know, rehabilitate anybody. That's not going to bring about restorative justice because, you know, maybe the person's family gets some sort of happiness seeing the perpetrator killed, but I don't think most, you know, people feel happiness seeing other people die. So, um, I definitely think just letting him live out his days, you know, locked up, that's going to be the best interest. And like you said, he's not really posing a threat, especially with the low IQ of this. You know, there's got to be some way that they could easily restrain him, you know, make sure that he's, you know, in a mental facility and getting mental help like he should have gotten, you know, a long time ago. Exactly. I I just, you know, I'm not a huge proponent of, of the death penalty for people. And it just seems cruel, you know, to do it now with him being in the state that he is. Uh, it just doesn't seem something that a, a civil civilized society would be doing. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You, you know, maybe the Taliban, that's what they do. But, you know, yeah. I feel like, you know, if we're going to say that we need to be different, then let's let's be different. But listeners, to move us forward here, uh, giving you a little COVID update here, talking about the Delta variant and talking a little bit about labor, uh, just to give a little uh, quick 
shout out to our um, labor episode with Dr. Valerie Wilson. If you haven't listened to it already, make sure you go back and listen to that. That's the shock in the labor market. But this is about the U.S. Empl- uh, U.S. labor market where employers added just 194,000 jobs in September. Second straight tippet gain and evidence that the pandemic has kept its grip on the economy uh, with mil- with many companies struggling to fill millions of open jobs. Friday's report from the Department of Labor has showed that the unemployment uh, unemployment rate sank last month from 5.2% to 4.8%, but that's because uh, about 180,000 fewer people looked for work in September, which meant they weren't counting as unemployed. The drop in labor force, interestingly, occurred mostly in women, suggesting that working mothers are still caring for children at home. Uh, men labor participation rate didn't really change much at all. Economists still think, though, that after this pandemic kind of wanes, that the three million people who lost jobs and stopped looking for work will return in their uh, searches. Good optimism, I think, from economists to say that we'll bounce back. I think that we'll bounce back. But I also think that there's a lot of jobs that aren't coming back. Um, I think that a lot of employers realize they can operate more streamlined with fewer employees. A lot of uh, industries figure that they could go digital and remote. So I just don't think that we're just going to fully bounce back. I think that, you know, unless we have some sort of reforms where we recreate some jobs for people, then, you know, we're not going to see anything. Exactly. I think we're going to, you know, like you say, still struggle to find workers and this is not going to go away. Um, anytime soon. Just getting rid of the enhanced unemployment benefits is not the magic bullet <laughs> that everybody thought it was going to be, folks, and not running back out there to take the jobs that they may have had at the beginning of the pandemic. So a continued struggle there. Um, our next uh, story is going to be about Facebook. You may have heard there's a whistleblower who has come forward now. Um, I think she had originally released a bunch of documents to the Securities and Exchange Commission, maybe, and now she's out uh, in public. And so her, her name uh, is, uh, where is it at in here? I don't see it. Oh, Frances Hagen is her name. She's a former Facebook employee turned whistleblower. She testified before a Senate uh, Commerce Subcommittee on Tuesday, and she was alleging blatant disregard from Facebook executives when they learned their platform can have harmful effects on democracy and the mental health of children. So just to give you some takeaways from this hearing, she also had a 60-minute speech, which was very interesting. Um, she says that Facebook is facing its big tobacco moment in targeting of children. Hogan described how she, I hope I'm saying that right, Hogan described how she said both platforms, Facebook and Instagram, target children as potential users. Uh, she also said the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, was fully aware. He was made aware of their platform's potentially negative influence on the mental health of children. Uh, and it also looks like lawmakers are signaling that more hearings and oversight could be coming after comments on Facebook's consistent understaffing of their counter espionage, information operations and counterterrorism teams. And they said that this actually could be a national security issue. So lawmakers said they could be putting more hearings um, on the docket and in place. Uh, there were also some things mentioned about just how the algorithm um, that they've created uh, and, you know, has, has pumped up hate speech and misinformation. Um, so, Adrian, I think this is, you know, we finally get to hold their feet to the fire with real documents. Someone who used to be on the inside coming out, speaking publicly 
about something we all kind of figured was going on, but we just didn't have the documents. We didn't have the evidence to show that Facebook really was having an out, you know, an effect on society, literally. But now we actually do. And I'm glad she's come forward to let us know that uh, they knew, you know, from the beginning, they know exactly what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's one of those things to where you, you have to look, you have to think about it as, as, as business. You know, a company is always going to think about profits. You know, <laughs> it, it, that, that's what it's thinking about profits and it's shareholders who think about profits and a lot of the times companies make decisions that are not in favor of consumers because they care about profits over consumers. And that's what we're seeing here with Facebook. I mean, that's why one lawmaker referenced it as a big tobacco movement because, you know, it's all about, you know, making money at the expense of other people. And this time it happens to be children. And I fully think that you know, social media has an effect on, on, on kids and even adults. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it, it's such a, a powerful way to communicate, but it also, if you don't have the appropriate mental health, you know, uh, awareness and mental health within yourself, I mean, you may look on social media one day and think that everybody around you is, is, is succeeding and you're failing at everything and you might want to, you know, end your life or you might want to go shoot up the place at school. I mean, you never know what people may want to do by seeing all of this stuff. And I mean, I definitely think that there just needs to be a lot more. I, I mean, I know they're talking about a lot of oversight because of some of the uh, counter espionage. And obviously if, you know, cause the, the article is talking about other advers- you know, foreign adversaries being able to utilize the information on Facebook to plan against the United States. So obviously that's, that's a whole nother uh, element to the topic other than just them, you know, uh, damaging our kids, but um, they can't just make a bunch of money and walk, you know, free to do whatever they want and say that they've got, you know, people that are supposed to be watching out for this stuff and they're not. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, they just weren't, we're not saying, look, I'm not saying that Mark Zuckerberg ever set out to do (laughs) things. Like, let's not say that either. Like, he's not this evil warlord who was like waiting, you know, when he created Facebook that it was going to turn into this. But when you have upwards of, 2 billion users and you've created an algorithm that shows people the most, you know, engaged with posts in their feed, whether, and you don't filter it out by whether it's misinformation or hate speech or negative, when you just put up anything that has engagement on it, well, you're going to pump up and just amp, you know, amp up the hate speech and the misinformation. And it's going to become a very negative dark place, which is what happens when you go on Facebook, the stuff that pops up, you notice it has a lot of comments and the stuff that, you know, they, they basically played off the anger of people. And that stuff is what drives social media engagement. People go in there and they talk crazy because of behind the keyboard and Facebook just amplifies it because the algorithm is set to do that. They didn't necessarily say we want to, you know, take America and, and pit everybody against each other. And, and drive hate, but they're looking for, like you say, they're trying to make money. They know if they keep people engaged on the platform, they can charge more dollars for advertisements. That's how this whole thing works. Now, is it beneficial to society? 
No. <laughs> but it's that's like, not really top of mind. <laughs> it's like uh, another little plug for another episode. It's like Janelle George said in our Critical Race Theory episode, you know, you have to even, you know, whenever you make something, you have to make sure that it doesn't indirectly create negative side effects. Right. I mean, you may not be intending things to happen, but because you created it, you have to watch out for all. I mean, you got to make sure that your your yeah. product, your legislation, whatever it is, doesn't indirectly um, negatively impact people. And you just say, well, oh, well, we were intended to help people connect and help you keep up with your loved ones, but we were going to ignore this other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. No, you can't. And especially when you have guardrails that you created during the 2020 election, stop these things. And then you turned it off after the election as if, all right, we're good. We got through the election. We can turn it off. Everybody go back to being all night. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're going to get into our quick hits here. So our first story, um, I have it here out of California. So there's a California man who's suing a Los Angeles psychic that he paid uh, he's suing her for fraud because she allegedly claimed that she could remove a witch's curse put on him by his ex-girlfriend for $5,100. So apparently last month, Mauro uh, Restrepo found psychic Sophia Adams' website that billed her as a, quote, PhD life coach and psychic love coach. And this is according to uh, City News Service in Los Angeles. And so uh, Mr. Adams gave uh, Restrepo a tarot, or Mrs. Adams, excuse me, uh, Sophia Adams gave him a, a tarot reading when he visited her office in uh, Palos Verdes Estates and told him that he had a, quote, mala suerte, which is bad luck. Uh, put And that was put there by his ex-girlfriend when she hired a curse-casting witch. Adams allegedly claimed that his family would be, quote, unhappy and in danger unless he paid her $5,100 to remove the curse. Uh, Restrepo reportedly paid a $1,000 deposit, but she, quote, did not in any way help his marriage, the lawsuit said. Uh, Mr. Restrepo says he suffered anxiety and sleepless nights and is also suing for intentional and negligent infliction of emotional distress along with negligence and civil conspiracy, he is asking for $25,000 in damages. So I don't know what he expected. Anybody who has the name PhD life coach, I kind of question off the top. (laughs) Yeah, I could definitely uh, question that for sure. Um, Hopefully they'll get some resolution out of that. It's an interesting situation to say the least. Um, I guess, which we do, we have a, a story. I have a story later on talking about people that don't do service or fail to do the services they promise. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to that. But uh, this is a, another story. 
Uh, interesting about uh, surgery here. It almost um, shows some more failures in our healthcare system here. But this says a U.S. woman was has claimed, I don't know why they didn't give the state, uh, has claimed that she is charged extra for crying during surgery. Uh, she had posted on, on Twitter her bill and it showed where she had actually gotten uh, charged uh, extra money for like emotional uh, for emotional outcry, basically. Uh, the woman, she didn't have her name on here, but she went by a uh, uh, pseudonym, uh, Midge. Or maybe she is actually called Midge. I just I just thought that was maybe it's just her nickname. I don't know. Uh, she shared a, a picture of an invoice she received after a mole removal procedure. Uh, I think the mole uh, removal only cost about $200, but the brief emotion that she had during her surgery cost her $11. So uh, I guess, listeners, if you do go in uh, and have surgery, don't cry. They could um, you know, charge you extra. And Midge was disappointed because she said she didn't even receive a sticker for her trouble. So uh, <laughs> she didn't get a sticker. <laughs> like, really? Okay. Wow. That's, that's pretty wild. $11 for brief emotion. Um, don't cry go. during surgery. So if, if if anybody you know displays brief emotion around you, maybe you can start handing out bills or something <laughs> and stickers. <laughs> hey, with with the pandemic happening and everybody needing emotional support, that's what you just say. You're just an emotional caregiver. There you go. We got to charge for that though. <laughs> uh, but we'll move on uh, to our next story here. It's not funny, but it's just kind of just shows you a sign of the times kind of story here. Uh, but it was going to be about Dollar Tree. So I'm sure we've all been there before. Everything in the store is literally a dollar. It's almost like a dreamland for kids. But Dollar Tree, which has dollar in its name, uh, for and it stands, you know, stands for behind these doors, everything can be had for a dollar. And after expanding nationwide from only a handful of stores in Georgia, Tennessee, and Virginia, Dollar Tree is actually breaking the mold and will sell items in some locations that exceed a dollar. And so last month, the retail chain said that rising shipping costs are going to be taking a bite out of its per share profits this year. And that's a huge hit for any company, perhaps more so for one that was founded decades ago, calling itself the dollar, the one dollar Inc. company. So the company had already begun testing higher prices at several hundred of its stores. It has nearly 8000 locations. Um, and so they're going to be calling these new stores with higher prices Dollar Tree Plus. And they're going to have items that can go for as much as $5. Um, items that can go for $1.25 to $1.50 will soon be found in, in the mix at some locations amid the typical assortment of $1 products. So don't be surprised if you walk into a Dollar Tree and you start seeing $1.25, $1.50, $1.75. Understand it's now no longer the Dollar Tree. It's dollar and some change tree maybe. Um, that might be more typical, but it just goes to show you, Adrian, uh, this whole, you know, uh, shipping shortage, the, the supply chain stuff has now impacted our favorite store, Dollar Tree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I felt like you can only be uh, you can only be offering uh, dollar prices for so long. Eventually, yeah, something's going to happen to where you got <laughs> up those rates a little bit. I mean, and I mean, I'm glad that they're not like going, you know, like two, three. I mean, I guess you said in the other store, it could be as much as five dollars. So yeah. um, that'll be interesting with going into Dollar Tree and buying some for five dollars. I would almost feel like 
is is there five things in this one item? Like, why are you charging? Like, <laughs> I get my money's worth here. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's how I'm gonna be feeling. And, and the other thing, like, I feel like most of the stuff that I go get at Dollar Tree aren't is it's not even worth five dollars because, like, most of it's like you know it's it breaks quickly. It's mm-hmm. like it's just it's very temporary. And I guess they consider five dollars very temporary as well. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see higher quality dollar tree items coming through. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, this is a, a, a interesting one here. Uh, definitely, you know, first off, don't do meth at all. Um, you should never do meth. Um, secondly, you know, if you do meth, I guess, uh, don't post it on Facebook. Um, a Missouri man trying to sell a catalytic converter on Facebook was arrested after a bag of meth and a syringe was spotted in the background of his photo. Uh, James Kurtz, 38, was t- was taken into custody on Wednesday after posting the photo on Facebook Marketplace. Uh, this was reporting t- uh, according to New York Post. Stone County Sheriff Doug Rader said the police department was tipped off by this photo soon after he shared it online last week. In the picture, the bag of drugs is clearly visible on the coffee table in the background. When authorities searched his home, they found 48 grams of meth and a pistol he uh, wasn't legally own, legally allowed to own. According to CNN, Mr. Kurtz is being held in county jail with no bond. He was charged with possession of a controlled substance and probation parole violation. So like I said, you know, if you're going to do bad stuff, uh, don't put it on, you know, social media, you know, don't. Um, you know, make sure you don't have it around you. Like, you know, I, I remember like when I was like, you know, out drinking, I had people like posting, trying to take pictures. I was like, nah, like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need that. Like, you know, James didn't either. Right. <laughs> James, James should have learned from the other people who came before him, wielding the guns, got the weed in the background. The, the feds are watching. Just assume <laughs> the feds are watching every time you post a video or a picture. Um, just oh my goodness! When will people learn? The pe that they're watching, okay? They they see everything. So, um, James, and don't sorry. do math. Don't do and math. don't do math. That's, that's, you can that's solve the problem thing. right there. Just don't do math. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll move on to our, our next story here. Uh, we're going to go up to Fargo, North Dakota. So there's a squirrel in Fargo, North Dakota that really likes walnuts to the point where it collected 42 gallons of walnuts and stored them inside a man's Chevy Avalanche. Uh, Bill Fisher said he came home from a four-day work trip earlier this month and discovered that his truck was filled with black walnuts, each roughly the size of a line. As his Facebook photos show, the walnuts were tucked into every nook and cranny of the Chevy, including the engine engine compartment and the fenders. Uh, Fisher removed enough of these uh, walnuts to fill seven gallon containers to fill seven, six gallon containers. That's a lot. Um, He said, quote, I had to pull the fenders off and clean out all the walnuts and thought I had them all out and took it down the road, turned the corner and found one rolling down the windshield where the wipers go. Um, As nutty as this all might seem, uh, it's. Not the first time. This is this is terrible pun, <laughs> terrible pun. <laughs> but it's it's not the first time this has happened. Fisher said red squirrels have been using his truck to store walnuts from his neighbor's tree every two years. The tree's maturation cycle um, since 2013. So there you go. Forty-two gallons worth of walnuts found inside his truck. 
I've never seen that many on us before, but whoever wrote that story, don't, don't. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, listeners, as you can tell, whenever we get stories, we just, you know, use the articles, uh, use the author's words. Um, and some authors um, have an interesting sense of humor there. Um, <laughs> it's nuts. Oh, my but, God. <laughs> but that's an interesting story, to say the least. Um I, I like squirrels. I actually, I, I've been, uh, I actually saw my first black squirrel when I moved to Indiana because I didn't know there were black squirrels at all. Uh, I remember feeding some squirrels and they weren't black or, uh, or these are red squirrels, but I was, I was thinking about some black squirrels that I saw the other day, but, um, to take us to an interesting story. So, uh, this is getting us back to people who say they're going to do some work and then they don't do it. Uh, a Danish museum loaned an artist. $84,000 in cash and the artist was supposed to recreate old artworks using the uh, using the cash but he ended up pocketing the money and sending two blank canvases to the museum instead and they were entitled Take the Money and Run <laughs> uh, the Danish author Jens uh, Hannings was commissioned by the Kungsten Museum in the city of Augsburg to produce two works using, like I said, that $84,000, which was supposed to represent the annual salary in Denmark and Austria. Um, the director, Lassie Anderson, laughed, you know, said that this was a good joke and actually displayed uh, the, the artwork in the museum's modern art exhibit. But while the director said this is funny, he indicated that this is only going to last until the end of the ex- the end of the exhibit. Uh, if the money is not returned on January the 16th, as agreed, they will take the necessary. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show. Let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. Uh, So first up, after today, on Tuesday, we'll have our next regular scheduled episode coming up. This time, we're going to be talking about civic engagement, and we're going to be welcoming Ms. Melanie Campbell from the National Coalition of Black Civic Participation. She's going to be on the show to talk with us about civic engagement and what that really means, what that, you know, what goes into that. It's not just about voting, so we're going to touch on that. So make sure you tune into that and, and get a real, you know, view of what civic engagement actually looks like uh, in 2021. So make sure you tune into that. That's going to be coming up on Sunday. And then after that, next Saturday, October 16th, that'll be weekly roundup number 18. We'll be right back here with you to bring you some more news, some quick hits, and some recaps about what's going on in the world around you. Uh, So again, weekly roundup number 18 coming out to you next Saturday, October 16th. So make sure you tune in uh, for that. And then before we go, we always like to let you know you can help us out by donating your hard-earned dollars and money. We'll take cash, check, credit card, whatever you got. We'll take it. Um, and Age is going to let you know how and where you can actually give to us. Yes, listeners, we really, really appreciate those donations. 
easy thing to do, go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Click that donate tab. If you're listening to us in the Podbean app, there's a donate button right in the app. Click on it. It's going to take you to our patron page. There's a lot of gifts uh, that you can, uh, as you sign up, you get different gifts based on the level of donation. So please, please do that. Again, our website, blackagendapod.com. Start giving on that. Um, As always say, you know, don't, you know, whenever you like us, share us, that's great. But whenever you donate to us, that's even more because that means you believe in us expanding and believe in us growing to do some big things. So we really look forward to you becoming a monthly patron so we can send you some shout outs. Uh, again, our website, blackagendapod.com. Click the donate tab and start giving. Also, we want to highlight our charity of the month. Um, like I said, uh, you know, October new month, been talking about this new charity here, Race Forward. They conduct original and broadly accessible research on pressing racial justice issues. The research is focused on the ways institutional and structural racism leads to inequitable social and economic outcomes. They work to build movements for racial justice in partnership with communities, organizations, and sectors. They build strategies to advance racial justice in our policies, institutions, and culture. Race 4 imagines a just, multicultural, democratic society free from oppression and exploitation in which people of color thrive with power and purpose. So really, really a great organization. Like I said, they're called Race Forward. Go to their website and check them out. That's right. Make sure you go to blackagendapod.com and then go to Race Forward and check them out. Uh, before we go, we also like to let you know you can follow us on social media. Um, just go to, uh, like I say, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, or even YouTube. You can find us. Our handle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is at Black Agenda Pod. And again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. Just type that in. You'll find us. Make sure you Follow us, like or share everything that you see. We're trying to grow this thing here. So we can only do that with your help by making sure you share our content. Uh, also, like I said earlier, we're on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, type in the Black Agenda podcast. and You'll find a catalog of, I think we have upwards of 50 videos on there about all different kind of topics. Great guests, of course, as always. And then you can go back and see if some of our past conversations with HBCU presidents um, and with Ms. Janelle George that we mentioned earlier about critical race theory. So make sure you go check that out in between our episodes and catching back up with what we have talked about. So uh, again, for me and Adrian, we appreciate you.